A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from others' mistakes. Welcome to the My Mistakes Podcast. We cover the lessons learned from the mistakes we've made in business so you won't do the same. I'm Chris Chanchuli. Thomas Jefferson once said, I'm a great believer in luck, and I feel the harder I work, the more I have of it. Doug Goodstein knew what he wanted to do at an early age, but never would have imagined landing a job, creating a television presence for the king of all media and the most popular radio show of all time. Doug Goodstein has created many opportunities through determination, relationship building, and an unparalleled work ethic. So, Doug, let's start with childhood, where you're from, what led us to this point. Like, if we were doing a timeline, let's start at the very beginning, that first dot. If you can tell us where you were born, where you grew up, and what that was like. Sure. Well, I grew up in Brooklyn until I was about seven years old. Then I moved to Long Island out here in Rockville Center, which is where I currently live after bouncing around a little bit. Lived in the city, but ultimately ended up back in my hometown, which has been been nice. Tell us about your parents, born to where? What was your community? After Brooklyn, I was here in Brooklyn till about age seven, then moved out to Long Island. I might have left out that detail to Rockville Center. Grew up in Rockville Center, Long Island, and lived in the city for a few years, then back, ultimately ended up back in my hometown. My parents are still in the town here in Rockville Center. No one in my family has any background in television or in, in entertainment or in multimedia. So I could tell you the exact second, exact moment, almost the exact year that I knew what I wanted to do. When would that be? That would be in about 1980. There was a guy on Good Morning America named Spencer Christian. He was, I believe he was the actually, actually the meteorologist. He did the weather. But he also did human interest stories. And there was a Little League story they were doing in Rockville Center. And I think I was in fifth grade. And he was there for Good Morning America. And I was there and I saw the camera. And I just said I was fascinated, fascinated by seeing the camera crew and and a guy from TV. It was that moment I just realized I want to work in television. What about that grabbed your attention? It probably was one of the first people I've ever seen from the TV screen off the TV screen. And I just was really intrigued by it. It was just something It was just a certain chemistry and a certain fascination, I guess, with just seeing how the camera worked and how they were producing and how he was interviewing people. And I just was fascinating to me. And, I, and actually, I befriended Spencer Christian at that shoot. He probably thought, who is this pain in the ass kid? But believe it or not, I remember not too long after, he sent, I think it was like a signed headshot or something, or something autographed, and that was like, holy cow, this guy remembered, and it was really it was really amazing to me, and that was a moment I always remember meeting him, and, and always the point in my life that I realized what I wanted to do in my career. You were how old then? Eight? Ten. Ten years ten. old. So at 10, what were you like in elementary school? Were you picked on or teased because you wanted to be a TV boy now? No, in elementary school, I always was the social butterfly. I always was friends with everyone, and I'm very proud of myself that I never really had any enemies in my entire life. I don't think I've really had someone that that I 
didn't befriend or it didn't matter what group you were in or who you were. I was friends with you. I was always nice to everyone, always cordial, never was stirring the pot of trouble. Just always, you know, reached out to anyone and everyone. The popular kids, I was, you know, I, I think I was, I think I was popular in high school. I mean, I was friends with everyone, but it didn't matter if you were the kid with two friends who everyone picked on. It didn't matter to me. I would, I would go out of my way almost to, to make sure that person was comfortable or was somewhat of a acquaintance that was someone that I would be able to talk to or, or knew I, I wouldn't hang out with them per se, but I was definitely not an enemy or someone who was rude to them like maybe many other people were. What was home life? Any siblings? Do you get along with them? I get along with my brother. He's a little bit older, and that's it. And then I had a pet bird. Did you get along with him well? or <laughs> I did. I taught my bird how to talk. My parents, they are still around, thank God. My dad was in the garment business, and my mom pretty much was in the arts and advertising business for local I think it was the penny saver. And then she, for most of her career, she did real estate. So you get through elementary school. You've got lots of friends. You've got your dream. You're on your way. High school, how'd you decide where to go to college, how to pursue this? Did you just go right into it? Did you go to college? I did. I went to the University of Hartford and I was only looking at colleges. I wanted to be a reporter. That's where my focus always, always was. I wanted to be on camera as a reporter. And I knew what a rough, rough career in life that could be, especially when you had to start in the smallest markets, making absolutely no money. So I went to University of Hartford. I was looking at a career and a major in communications, mass media. And that's what I pursued. In college, I joined a fraternity. And I was, of course, the fraternity documentarian. And I shot, I have probably 80 hours of, of footage that I shot. I still have the, v, the original VHSs. What year is this? I started college in 1988 and I graduated in 92. And I shot about 100 hours of footage, almost all from the fraternity. And of course, in my senior year, when I was working, I had a full time paying job. It's called a co-op. I don't know if they still have that, a co-op job where I was working full-time at a cable company my senior year in college, and I edited the 100 hours of tape into a one-hour compilation sort of timeline of the history of the fraternity through the four years I was there. So that was probably my first major project. And I mean, I was worlds ahead of technology. I figured out, and I, I figured out how to edit on a system that was not built to do what it was supposed to do. And it was, I remember this vividly too, it was called the Video Toaster, which now is, I believe, evolved into this into Avid, which is one of the biggest companies out there for editing software. It's like preeminent, premier editing software, Avid. It was like in the fledgling stages of, of what you could do. And I just crafted and figured out how to get in there and, and manipulate the system in a creative way. And I like had computers talking to each other that shouldn't have been talking to each other and creating visual effects and graphics. And it was really cool. Well, when you have one computer talking to the other computer and they shouldn't be talking, who knows what that can spawn? 
Yeah, it was all like this makeshift. It was a public access is where my first job was when I was a senior in college. So it was like they had the equipment, but it wasn't all set up the right way. And I figured out how to set it up the right way, or I figured out a bypass to make it work together and create these insane graphics and, and, and effects. And it was, it was really cool. Even the people that worked there were like, wow, how were you doing that? So you graduate college and then where do you go? This is 92, you graduate. So we're hitting into the peak of the grunge movement. So around that period, where do you go from there? From Hartford? Let me backpedal a little bit or go back a few years. While I was in college, my, right after my freshman year in college, I got my first professional exposure as an intern. And I was the intern at WABC-TV Channel 7 here in New York in the Community Services Department. That's the department that writes all the press releases. They did the, the bios for all the reporters. And primarily, they did public service announcements and public services for the community and for, for broadcast. So that was really, really amazing to me. I think that was going into my sophomore year and really gave me, even though I was working in Hartford area, that was the first real big time to me, professional exposure, working at like the best station in New York, WABC. So that was really cool. And they let me do it. It was pretty hands-on stuff. I was writing. I actually wrote a bunch of bios for for the news talent. And I remember one of the ones I did was a new reporter at the time. It was probably 89, 1989 or maybe 1990. A guy named Sam Champion. So look at him. He's still there. Now he's doing big time stuff on network television. And his grandfather was actually the founder of a clothing line that he got into years earlier. So it's good that he pursued his dream and went into the news instead of following the fashion and clothing. So little known fact. (laughs) <laughs> look at you yeah. <laughs> i'm trying to do it with the most straight face possible so from there you get that exposure again like sister christian and her brother spencer i think you said so from him to the news station you see some talent you learn some skills or what you want to do learn editing you're now writing scripts where does your talent go from there? Well, that was one of, I'll go through it quickly because it was, it was so much just within college. After WABC, I did another internship at WNBC Channel 4 in New York, right on the assignment desk. And that was another fa- fantastic experience going out right on breaking news stories with the reporters, learning the ropes, learning how editing was done, how news packages were put together, how the assignment desk worked. I also, in the course of my college career, worked as an intern just for one month for the Geraldo show when Geraldo had that crazy talk show. Again, more experience. And then those jobs led to getting a job, ABC Network, just two days out of college. I graduated on a Saturday and I was working, started my job on Monday, the following Monday, two days later after graduation at ABC Network for the Republican or the Democratic National Convention, which which was in New York City. Wow. In 1992. I love the fact that you keep yourself busy, moving, instead of going to a dorm room and complaining that you have a dream or the big movie that you're going to make one day on the big million, hundred million dollar budget. You're actually like in the trenches going in and learning each aspect. And here you're getting more and more opportunity. 
Was there another internship here? At that point, it was 92. I was out of college and I was, I was working. The ABC job was part-time. So I, b- I believe it was the Democratic Convention in New York. And then they hired me for the Republican out in Houston. And as soon as that convention was over, they hired me full-time, which is where I ended up spending two years there and realizing that maybe news, especially hard news, at the top of the mountain with Peter Jennings and World News Tonight and the the whole network news environment was not so much for me. And I started looking for different opportunities and ent- entertainment, very specifically in entertainment, something a little bit lighter than hard news and, and all that, all the seriousness that came with that. Interesting. So where would one go find entertainment? Well, in 1994, now, you send resumes in the mail, not email, the mail. And I just did my research and I started looking for companies that might be a good match. I remember I sent to MTV and I got in touch with someone way at the tippy top. There wasn't an opportunity there, but we stayed in touch. And then there was, I think I even sent to some of the offices for like Entertainment Tonight and some other shows in New York. And then there was a company called E-Entertainment Television that was just evolving, didn't really have a presence in New York. They were an LA-based cable company that was pretty young and just evolving. And sure enough, someone replied to me through the mail or probably on my phone at that point, not my cell phone, probably my home phone because cell phones weren't (laughs) weren't even a dime a dozen then. You're making it seem like you're so old, which is then making me feel like I'm so old. No, I'm not. I'm 49, but, you know, it's like... Teenager with experience. Yeah. So you start working at E, and are they going to have a big staff there? Do they assign you to a show, or are they really just, like, in development at that point? It's funny. There's, there's one little piece of the puzzle I left out. Right after college, too, between probably those freelance jobs at ABC for the conventions, I worked for, I think, a week or two or, or maybe whatever, just a very short stint at a, at a film company doing commercials. There was a guy, I forgot his name, who was the director who owned the company. And he was known as, I probably, if I remembered, I wouldn't say it because there's not good things to say about him. I had no bad experience, but people, he had a very, very bad reputation for being this, like, this very aggressive, mean-spirited guy to the young production assistants, which is what I was. And when I sent, I, I didn't, again, I didn't really have any bad experience with him, but on my resume, I put that. And when I sent it to E, the guy who got in touch with me, who ultimately became the guy that hired me and my boss, Scott Einzinger, he had worked for the same guy and he pretty much called to say, hey, you know, saw your resume. I might have something brewing. And but let me talk to you about this job and especially this director that I saw in your resume. And just to compare war stories and we just hit it off and we became friendly and we stayed in touch. And then the job evolved. And the job I'm talking about is which I didn't know. He told me there was a job and it turned out to be the evolving production and show for Howard Stern on E. I was going to say that was the infamous E show. That was the E show. Yep. So I came in, I think about a month or so after they had just ramped up and and it wasn't broadcasting yet, or it might've just started broadcasting maybe like a week or so when I jumped on board. It's interesting that you made the comment about how you put that little 
two week job or that run with that director in your resume. And that's what someone responded to at our meetings. We will connect meetings, not a meetings that was left up in the air. I will say how people in situations when they're hiring or just in conversation, people are always looking to build rapport. And a conversation is people trying to find ways to connect or identify with someone. It's funny, the whole, of the whole resume with you doing the co-op work program and whatever else you did and whatever else is on your resume, the thing that stood out to them was what you guys had in common was that director. And then your conversation led into a relationship. And then from that relationship, it led to a job. So you really followed a course that makes total sense to why it led to where it did. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because a two-week or three-week job, whatever, it was definitely less than a month. It's interesting because normally you would not put something on your resume that is two weeks or three weeks. It looks, you know, look, could look bad. But when you're young, you put everything, you put everything in anything that's especially career related, you put on your resume. So I put it on there and it worked, you know, it was great. It was the trigger. Like you said, it was that, that little piece of a short stint job that ended up into a long-term 19 year career. That's really, really a major, major opportunity. And just, that's probably when I was getting some advice from people in radio, future one who is an upcoming guest who you know very well, he said with every time you ever do a podcast and every time you interview someone, you're always looking for what's that nugget that people are going to hold on to, what's that memorable moment, and what's the value that you brought to your listener from your podcast or broadcast. And I think the fact that not even a month, that job, that Maybe nowadays people would have lost an entire opportunity, which could be a 19-year career like it was for you, just by adding that in. You never know where something's going to come from. And that's why I really am such a believer that your experiences in life can all lead to another experience and then another experience. You just don't know which ones they're going to be. So it's important to hear the whole story. That's why we're going back to Brooklyn and Rockville Center just to get to this moment. So I hope yeah, everyone enjoyed yeah. the My Mistake. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> End it right there. So you went to E and I wonder what happened next. So you knew that at this point, you know that you're going in. The Howard Stern show had only been, you said a couple of weeks, they start recording it. What were you expecting? Were you familiar with Howard? Did you ever listen to him? Anyone tell you about him? I was a fan of the show. And when I did my drives from New York to college to Hartford, I would always listen to the show. And I remember very clearly one time I was listening to interviews with that Stuttering John did. And I almost had to pull the car over because I was laughing so hard. And never, that was probably around my senior year, never thought like two years later, I would become pretty much John's primary producer and doing all those interviews with him, which was like, I remember that was my wow moment. I'm like, God, just two years ago, I remember like almost pulling off the road laughing. And now here I am two years later, and I'm John's producer. Doug, I'm going to piggyback off that from what you're saying. And if it's anything like the fact that here I am talking to you right now, and I was in college on Long Island, not far from where you lived and grew up. And I grew up outside of Hartford. And my girlfriend, all through college, went to Fairfield University. So I would be driving, doing the same drive from either my parents' house, driving to Long Island, or making that drive, 
listening to the Stern Show, hearing you on shows, and I'm sure Stuttering John was somewhere there in the mix as well. But it's a weird almost if you came full circle and I came full circle, we're like making like an eight right now. So it's uh, <laughs> interesting. So here you are. I'm curious, you walk right in, like what was your expectation with that job? And what was it like when you first walked in that door and how were you received? When I first walked in, I mean, I, I was on cloud nine. I remember when I found out that it was the Howard Stern show on E, I was like, oh my God, I thought it was going to be some kind of an entertainment show, you know, something about movies or, or just some kind of uh, a news organ news program within E. But when they said, yeah, actually the show is for Howard Stern putting his radio show on TV. I was like, oh my God, you're going to get to see some boobies. That's what you were thinking right away. I was just thinking that it was such a great opportunity. Speak for yourself, you perv. But um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it was just, you know, I was pretty young. I was 24 years old and, you know, going into a, a show of that caliber at that time was just like, oh my God. And this is the height of his career. This is when he, 18 million people a day were tuning in to listen to that on the radio. It was definitely the time period when the show was really just exploding in popularity and, and audience and markets and, and just it was like going in right when the, the the plane was taken off big time, you know, going right to the top. It was only in three markets when I first started, but it was number one and just had incredible popularity in those three markets. It was what, New York, Philadelphia and Washington. Very, very shortly after the markets just expanded and just kept going and going and going and putting him on TV, we had really great ratings instantly. So it was really cool. I loved your analogy, like the plane taking off. So for someone like you who's coming into their first job, who's never worked in the entertainment sector of uh, film, video production, the area that you're in, what is it like to be part of a show that's moving so fast and here you have to get acclimated in such a short period of time? Because most businesses that could make crumble. How did you handle that? Luckily, I knew the show and I, I knew some of the backstories and some of the characters on the show. Obviously, it wasn't what it evolved to with the cast of so many people peripherally involved with the show. It was pretty much a small unit at that point. And I felt very comfortable that I knew it. And I believe that was one of the questions that Scott Einsker and I discussed, you know, how well do you know the show? And I think I went into all my stories and how I listened and I was a fan. And so it was, it was cool, but you know, there's definitely, you're nervous. You're going into, into a talent like that as someone who's young and a new face, you never know what the heck to expect. And fortunately I, I blended in pretty well. I got along with everyone very quickly and it was really never an issue. There was no hostility, no animosity, no nervousness it was it was it was like a family there i know that it was important to you getting started when you discuss like your vision and you creating things were they allowing you to explore creatively and follow your own vision of the show or did they have something in mind that they were telling you that they wanted definitely stayed in my lane at the beginning but it was pretty clear it was a very open environment and anyone could pitch ideas and anyone could come up with and contribute however they wanted to and however they felt comfortable. So, yeah, if I had an idea, I would present it and I would see where it went. And, and But there was definitely a, a good opportunity, a good environment to be a part of the show. I definitely didn't go in wanting to be on the show. Although that happened countless times ever since you got there, that's just the nature of the beast. 
But yeah, it was it was a good it's a good collaborative environment. And if you had an idea, you put it out there, and and it was a very comfortable place to contribute and work as a team. So you were able to contribute work as a team there. Which how many people were on that team? On the TV side, it was about. Mm, about a dozen people. And on the radio side, it's about the same, about the same in there when I first started there, probably about 10, 12 people. And I'm guessing that was working in a pretty tight space, if I remember from the e-show. Yeah. You, by the way, are like a super fan. I didn't realize you were telling me things a few days ago that I don't even remember. And you were almost like Rain Man. you like, yeah, in uh, August 1996, remember? I was like, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> no, I remember when Private Parts came out because I was a senior in high school, and I was counting down the days until that movie premiered, and it's not like I was in the city there at the premiere. That would be too crazy of a fan, but I was there opening night to see when Private Parts was out in theaters. Wow. Yeah, you're like a major fan. When we first met, by the way, we met, I just went to a random networking, networking event, event that yeah. a, a mutual friend of ours, he was asking me to go. I'm like, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll check it out. And I brought Tim Sabian with me. So you must have been like on cloud nine yourself when Tim Sabian and I walk into a pizzeria to have lunch for a, a small network event in, in Long Island. <laughs> yeah, I've got to laugh about it because after I walked out of there that day, I'm like, did I really say that to them? And for Sean, what I said was, I saw Tim and Doug and they were talking and it was after the meeting and I approach them and I wanted to say something that they would remember me by because, again, I looked up to these guys. They were on my favorite show. I just I really was a fan. So I walked up to Tim and Doug and I see them talking and I put my hands on both of their shoulders and I said, have you guys ever done anything other than had a career with Howard Stern and like to see the shock in their eyes. That's how I like introduced myself to him. And then when Doug started telling me all the things that he has done since I couldn't believe I wasn't aware of all those things. And I didn't know that he wasn't with the show. So it was just a funny experience where I wanted to get a reaction and Doug, I could see why he got along with everyone in high school. He wasn't offended or didn't think I was being a prick. He laughed at it and that started a friendship. So that's why he's here now. I did say, get your hands off me. Why are you touching me? We just met, weirdo. Yeah. Remember? And Tim said, <laughs> and you can take that free hand and put it on mother's shoulder and come massage these bad boys. So he, he I'm also did. his that massage therapist right. now at this point, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, that sounds about so, right. <laughs> so you're, you're at Stern. And I know that when they left, I mean, now it's no secret huge fan back at that time. So 2005, you guys leave and go over to Sirius. Were you going to go with him? Were you leaving E at that point to work just for that show? How did that transition take place? Well, yeah, it was a seamless transition. It was the E show we we already had known was not going to be renewed. And there was another entity called In Demand that was going to create the property Howard Stern on demand, which evolved into Howard TV on demand. So yeah, we knew it was the team went over for the most part, everyone the opportunity was there pretty much for everyone to go. Not everyone went. And yeah, it was just a whole new evolution of what we could do and, and a new platform on demand, which the floodgates were open for creativity and for just pretty much doing things differently, which was, which was a good opportunity and exciting. 
And what was your exact title that you had when you were hired? I came on as the executive producer of Howard TV. All right. So now at this point, finally, you're calling the shots. It's not a collaboration among the team. It's how you want to do things. Yeah. Well, of course, with approval from Howard, who was very much involved with the evolution and how we launched it. But yeah, it was really, it became very autonomous and a lot of comfort with how we were doing things and and a lot of comfort with in-demand executives on how we evolved and how we created the programming and the content and and the workflow and the strategy and and the turnaround time of very quick programming and and a a huge amount of quality programming and content. So it, it was really cool that, you know, have the opportunity to work with this relatively small team on the TV side. It was about 20, 24, 25 of us and create little niches and create workflows and create specific duties and just watch how it all came together. We didn't just do the radio show on TV. And this is where I was, I saw the opportunity to really expand the programming, which is what we did with reality shows, with one-off specials, with countdown shows, with behind-the-scenes shows, with semi-scripted shows. Just the sky was the limit. It was that in a creative environment, it was fantastic because you had so much access to talent and content opportunities within that huge cast of characters. And, you know, some shows you, you don't have an opportunity where people who are behind the scenes or peripheral characters can actually have their own shows and you can create endless content around these people. So that was really cool. And we, we produced, I mean, it was like 4,000 different titles. And a lot of that was repurposed content from the old days where we just went in and uncensored it and took out the curse words and other things. And there was also tons and tons of fresh original content that we were able to evolve and and create, which was, which was really cool. I remember watching much of it. So you knew what you wanted to do at 10. And as a fan of Howard, I know that he was about five, six when he knew what he wanted to do. Do you think there's something to that with people following a vision or wanting something their whole life and working toward it? Think there could be a coincidence between you guys or? There's a lot of coincidences between us. (laughs) We went to the same, Howard went to the same high school and uh, we essentially grew up in the same town. So that's an interesting coincidence. And that I believe was the really the first way I got exposed to him. No pun intended there. You know, being in the high school when I was like 14 years old and you just, I don't think before that I had any idea who Howard Stern was. But when you go to that high school, you started to hear as his popularity was really soaring. I'm like, wow, this is the, the same high school that Howard Stern went to. So that's where I created, you know, I got my first awareness of him. And it was um, a little bit of coincidence that we went to the same, lived in the same town and went to the same high school. I'm curious, when you first spoke to him, did you happen to mention that you guys went to the same high school? I don't think in my first conversation, but, you know, subsequently for sure. Yeah. I was just thinking to myself, again, this could have been like, what a great icebreaker to build rapport with someone very fast. Now, we know in high school, you got along with everyone, the high school kids. And Howard talks about how he wasn't one of those popular kids, much like you were. Did you guys hit it off right away? Did you feel it was a comfortable meeting that you guys got along? What was that experience at first like? Yeah, you know, I think the first time I met Howard... It might have been very briefly in passing after I got hired. Like, oh, this is, I don't even remember. 
What I do remember crystal clearly is when I really felt like I first met him and my first introduction to him, and it was on the air. It brings back such fear and terror. <laughs> I was in, in the bathroom. I was in the bathroom at K-Rock and, you know, doing what people do in a bathroom. Howard did a shoe lineup to figure out who, who was in the bathroom. <laughs> so that's how I met him. He goes, line up three guys. Let me identify those shoes. There's someone in the bathroom when I was in there. So I was like, oh, God, this is really how I'm going to be introduced to him and, and his. <laughs> so wait, you're in the stall. They look at the cameras, see the feet underneath. No, he then... did. He did. Okay. Oh, no, he brought it. He brought everyone into the studio. He was in there. He went to the bathroom during a commercial break and I was in there, you know, which is where you should be when you need to go to the bathroom. Uh-huh. And then he made it into a bit. He goes, wow, you know, I was in that bathroom and I want to figure out who that was in there. Line up three guys and let me identify those shoes. And he called you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that the way that you first met? And he just said, oh, what's your name? And then sent you on your way? Or did he like ask you questions at that point? No, no. He, that's, that's how he really figured out who, oh, you're the new guy from the TV crew. What's your name? You know, that, that was it. That was my first appearance on the show. Wow. That would have been very scary, intimidating. It's a good thing you ended up back in the bathroom with your pants full this time with uh, being on the spot there. You have a 19-year career that's after everything comes to an end. On demand, did that not get renewed or something at the point when you were leaving or different opportunity? What happened? It was very simple. It was a contract that was ending and there was uncertainty about what was next. There were talks about there'd be something that, again, seamlessly migrate the TV entity and the TV team into this new to be determined venture. And that never, that just simply never evolved. And I don't think they went back and, and really did TV or, or started putting stuff on an app to what, three and a half, four years later? Pretty recently, I think, is when it really just started evolving, maybe within the last year or two. But yeah, I think it was just an, and thought that there was going to be another entity that was going to come around and take over, essentially take over the TV part of the show. And it that didn't evolve. And then when the contract ended, that's when our, our jobs ended. So prior to jobs ending, just reflecting as far as anything that could have been done different, if you, it was a good experience, like looking back on that career and the years that you had there, what would you say like the major takeaway was that you learned from it? And if you had, I don't want to call it a low point, but a regret, a mistake, something that you could have done different, what are those two things? Yeah, I mean, listen, I learned so much there. It's in in an environment where you're exposed to so many different opportunities in television production. It wasn't just a documenting a radio show on TV. It was pretty much producing in every single genre of possible on television. There was talk shows, there was game shows, there was competition, there was sports, there was music, there was entertainment, there was reality, there was scripted, semi-scripted behind the scenes, clip shows. It's just to do all that under one umbrella is pretty rare. And to be in charge of that for the eight years I was with Howard TV is just taught me so much and just evolved my career and my abilities so much. And it's a very fast paced environment. We didn't really sit there and, and harp on things for months or weeks or whatever, like in a lot of other environments in, in production. 
if we wanted to do something, we would just get it done. It's just like, let's just go there. Let's just get a plan. Let's execute and let's get it on the air. So it was really awesome to be in that kind of environment, in that creative environment where there was just so much opportunity and, you know, very little people saying no at the top. I mean, the executives at, at In Demand really let us evolve and do what we needed to do. And Howard was always on board for trying new things, which was great. A regret that I probably have, believe it or not, is maybe staying there for so long. And I know that might sound weird because looking back, I had an opportunity, a really, really good opportunity that came my way that was unsolicited. And I believe it was at MTV at the time for to executive produce a show. And I didn't take the opportunity. And... And I, I just I remember I was thinking of many times, like, what if I just tried something new? What if I left the Stern show? Who knows where those doors and where that path would have branched out to? So that's like the only regret. I definitely didn't have bad years ever. I never really was sitting there at the Stern show and was angry or just you know disgruntled because it was always a fun environment for the most part. But there was that one opportunity when I did interview it for it and and did see a, a really pretty cool opportunity. I sort of looked back and said, well, what if, what if? That's pretty much the only big what if I had. It's like, what if I took that opportunity? Where could I have gone? Where could it have evolved to? What could it have led to? In the short term, with that opportunity, I'm I'm also sort of glad I didn't do it because I remember that show lasted about two years. But again, it's those what ifs and those, I wouldn't call it a mistake, but it, it was a what if moment. There's a lesson that I grabbed from that, just hearing how you described it. And it's, you said that you were part of a team and everyone was working together and you didn't have that same creative freedom that you would later have once you went to Howard TV. And then you became executive producer and you called all the shots. So to me, I look at the lesson as hang in there, don't go doing anything impulsive and just taking another opportunity, thinking that this is going to be the once in a lifetime chance, because like you said right there, after two years, it was no longer on the air and you had an eight year gig that I think achieved some pretty amazing things. And like you said, the amount of potential, the sky was the limit with all the different programming. And I think you probably made the right decision there. So yeah, take that out of any kind of regret category. I don't regret it. It's just sort of more of a what if, like, wow, what if, where could that have led to? And You weren't married then, right? Yeah, well, I've been married since 2000. How did your wife feel about you working in that kind of atmosphere? Oh, she was cool. She she got it pretty quickly. She knew it was a a cool job in a very professional environment. And, she, you know, it was entertainment. It was showbiz. It was it was what you heard on the air or what was happening on the air was was all on the air. What a fan I was at that point. I remember he would always refer to your wife. I told you this when we were talking on the phone. He would say, Lady Goodstein. And that was the way he would say, and her name's Marlo, right? Marlo, yeah. Marlo. Yeah, I remember it from the show. This is where you're crazy, because I don't remember that. You have like a photographic memory. I thought it was so funny him saying that, that I started referring to like people's wives as Lady fill in the blank there. So... Yeah, yeah. It never really went anywhere for me. So it was much funnier when he did it, I guess. And his audience would reflect that. But no, I uh, have lots of those strange moments of remembering you guys doing the show. And when I first met you, that's something I said right away, because I watched 
a lot of Howard TV and all the different programming. I remember Miss Howard Stern's reality TV show and the slip and slide and all that stuff. And for her to have a show, falling to the bathtub, taking down the shower curtain and the rod. I remember that. I mean, those shows were so great how you guys were spinning off. And I remember thinking to myself at that time, what did it have like a whole network here? Like that caught my attention, how much it had expanded. So you did a great job there. So that comes to an end. You eight year career contract, not renewed. What was the next opportunity for you? And is it something that you guys all did with Howard TV, like from relationships that you had built or did you go off on your own? No, with uh, after Howard TV ended, I had a job, I think it was three weeks later, basically for a startup network that was ironically and coincidentally taking a nationally syndicated radio show and simulcasting it live on the air. So I did that for about a year and then moved on to another opportunity with another guy who's a big radio talk show host in the political world. And But this was just not simulcasting a radio show. This was taking a new entity and creating a show on a digital platform as a political commentary show. And I did that for four years. And ultimately, that show was not just the digital platform with the political commentary show, but also a one-hour talk show or interview show on a major cable network. Wow. And did you have the creative freedom there? At this point, have you established yourself to where you've got a pretty good reputation and they say, all right, we trust you, just go for it? Or were you still having to get things approved? At the beginning, it was you know learning curves and getting to know each other and getting that comfort and that rapport built up. So it was definitely a little bit of bumpy roads at the first month or two. But after there was a chemistry and we established a friendship and a rapport, it became pretty autonomous as well with the comfort level that the show that we've created and I created with the team was was top notch and and exactly what the vision that the host had became executed working in really the highest level of entertainment that you can with Howard Stern and then working with someone in politics who do you think had more control or influence over their audience someone like a Howard Stern or someone like a political commentator who also has a radio show there's so many similarities between them, it's really interesting. They both had New York Times number one bestseller books. They both had a very fanatical fan base and a massive fan base. They're both syndicated on massive amounts of radio channels. Obviously, Howard's on Sirius now, but very similar, passionate fans for both. And, and engagement by fans was similar, where they just loved them and they were really loyal to this these hosts. Did you see similar management styles with both of them? A little bit, a little bit. Both of them, when they were when there was comfort, both of them were okay with somewhat of autonomy, which was nice. Always, you know, nothing would ever really go in there that was an out of the box, new, fresh concept anywhere without approvals or without them signing off on the the show or the content or the the idea in general. I don't want to call it an agenda, but when you're working with a political show. If you don't share the same political views as the person whose show you're producing, are you not focusing on that and just trying to get the content out? Or are you trying to suppress something or highlight something that you think is a strong point to something that you believe in? Well, the host we're talking about, I don't know if I even mentioned it, it's Mark Levin, and he's a very strong political conservative talk show host. 
when I met him, I told him I'm not a too far right wing politically. I told him I was a libertarian and that's how I am today. And that's how I always see myself. I'll vote for the best candidate. That's always been my philosophy. And that's how I've been since the day I started voting in, you know, when I was 18. So yeah, he was cool with that. I, I wasn't, I also made it clear I wasn't going to get in his way. I wasn't going to fight him or argue with him or or be <laughs> someone to combat him on his, what his, that's, that's who he is. And that's exactly what his show is going to be. And I wasn't there to, to try to fight him or sway him. That's certainly not the, the job of mine. I said, listen, I will get you the best show. I'll make you the best show you want and and execute your vision with the content you want. And is that's it. You're there to do it. It's a job at the end of the day. I really got along with Mark. I thought he was a really, really nice guy and, and very, very, very smart. And that's also another parallel with Howard and, and Mark is that they're both super, super smart guys. I mean, really, really brilliant in their own ways. You know, Howard with the with the interview style and Mark just with his just his knowledge, whether you agree with him or not, it doesn't matter. The guy is just constitutional scholar at the end of the day. So you really can't argue with him and call him a lunatic or a wacko. He's based everything off of fact, you know, and also deep knowledge, not just some crazy kooky beliefs, although some people and a lot of people see him as that, but that's their opinion, and that's totally fine. But I wasn't there to ever get in. Yeah, I wasn't there to get in his way. For you to have two people that are so opposite on the political spectrum, on not just them as individuals, but their audiences. Mark Levin's audience would totally be on one side of the spectrum, and then Howard's audience would be totally on the other side. It only proves the point that, like in high school, getting along with everybody here. The only thing missing here is your parrot, but you could get along well with not just the hosts, but the audiences of the hosts. So I think that's probably what makes you so versatile no matter where you work. I know that I could create content for anyone in any kind of genre, in any kind of field. I could create the content very quickly. Once I get into the mindset and the thought and the vision of a host, I can make it work. When we talked the other day, Governor Cuomo announced some kind of contest and talking to you, you said, I'm going to do it. And I said, oh, and you see, I wrote the script, everything. I cast it in 10 minutes. And I was like, wow, Doug does not sit on anything. I just shot it yesterday and I just finished editing it last night and I'm about to deliver it or post it wherever they need. But there was a public service. I was watching Cuomo's daily briefing and they announced the thing for a public service announcement about wearing masks. And I was like, I don't know. It just the thought came into my head. I saw it within a minute. I just had this vision. I'm like, oh, wow, I, I could do that. I went to my computer about seven minutes later. The script was done. It's a 30 second public service announcement. And then that day, about two hours later, I cast nine kids, all my neighbors. I shot it socially distanced. I put the camera on an eight-foot tripod and stretched it right to them. Shot it yesterday in two hours and edited it last night in three hours, and it's done. Wouldn't that be ironic if like, we found out the winner of the contest and it's me, and you're like the runner-up? That would be oh, funny. Be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things we're talking about is just that's the whole strength of being able to execute very quickly. And that really evolved during the years at Howard TV the most, just like that. Like it came to my head and like, instead of just having an idea and sitting on it, I just reacted to it. An instant reaction. Yeah. That's how the Stern show was. It's like, oh wow, there's ideas floating constantly there. 
And instead of just saying, oh, that would be fun, don't say that would be. That will be fun because we're going to do it. That was like the creative mind, the creative field there. It was just so cool. And I know you're such a creative person. Now, let's say they hadn't hired you and they hired someone else. Do you think the product that they put out with, no, well, not the e-show, but I guess Howard TV, would Howard TV have looked different because that was your vision being brought to life and Howard overseeing it? Or did he lay out something or could someone else have produced it the way that you did? Or was that something that you would take credit for? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously impossible to say, but I, I, I would think that with my back history with the show for 11 years prior to Howard TV and the knowledge that many people didn't have, especially being so inside, I don't think the, the product would have been the same at all. And I'll tell you exactly why is because the plan was always and the staffing and the budget was always put together to put the radio show on TV to put the serious radio show on TV. That was the that's the that was the business model. That was it. I saw the opportunity and I wasn't given additional budget, but I was they you know the opportunity was there. If you can make it happen without the need for more staff and an increased budget, go for it. And as we started creating and developing all these different shows and ideas and these pitches that I would give to Howard, it was pretty clear that that was my vision on how to really expand this and broaden it, not just make it just the radio show as a visual component. It was, wow, we could actually do this, 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 you know, all these different shows and series and specials and, and not affect the budget or the staffing. So yeah, that was, I would say that was my vision. And I don't think someone else could have done it exactly the same. But who knows? Someone could have come around and done it better. Who knows? You just don't know. I mean, there's a lot of creative people out there. What you just said, it stands out to me because I used to listen to the show regularly, constantly, didn't miss a beat or on a replay. And I also would watch Howard TV. And it wasn't the same experience because what you're watching Howard TV, it could be a guest or I remember hearing it on my XM or my Sirius unit. It was the same guest, but it was seeing it a whole different way because the visuals were so different. And you could tell that, like to watch any of the game shows that they did or anything that was captured, it was so great or entertaining to watch because you saw it from so many angles and it looked like it was produced for TV that I remember there were times I thought to myself, it used to be the E show where E was kind of following the lead of the radio show. But once at Howard TV... It could go either way for them to have the on-air Howard News. I mean, that was something that was very visual. So when you heard it on the radio, it wasn't the same as when you saw Penny or Steve Langford or any of them talking and then seeing video behind it to back it up and then your guys' reaction. So I think you created a whole different experience for even people that weren't listening to it at that time. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, the, the mindset was radio first of course because at the end of the day that's what we're there documenting as essentially as visitors we're documenting the radio show and there certainly was times where that paradigm shifted because there was many bits it was like wow we need to do this more visually so the balance was it wasn't like that wasn't set in stone it was some bits that really yes it's radio first enhance it visually and then there was some bits that would say, okay, let's make a whole set. Like, oh, wow. And then Howard would, for, oh, you got to see the set. You got to see it. And he would make very specific references to what things actually look like. 
painting the picture to the radio audience, theater of the mind, so to speak, but theater of the mind that you could see. There was a number of times where that was not etched in stone, where radio first, it became more of a cohesive synergy between radio and TV. I love how this podcast being really aimed at business owners, entrepreneurs, I love how you approached it to where you were able to not increase the budget, but take footage that you already had and were doing nothing with and produce so much more content without having to spend another dollar. I mean, that right there in itself shows brilliant. To clarify, that was actually part of the model. The model was to repurpose the old e-footage and put it out uncensored, as well as produce new shows from Sirius, where it was the radio show on TV, where we really, or where I was able to really expand it was the the original programming that came about, you know, shortly after we we started and evolved the product. That's awesome. So you finish up with. Mark Levin and working for that show. If you can fill us in from today to leaving Mark Levin, what have you done? The Levin show contract ended in almost a year ago already. And I made a very conscious decision that I wanted to try something different, which is completely go independent and and work essentially on my own. And for the last year, about a year, and for the last 11 months or so now, I've been working to create content, to develop show ideas, and partner up with bigger production companies as a co-production deal. So I have a bunch of those in play now. I have some shows that have some traction. I have some partners with bigger production companies that we've pitched to networks, and things are, are looking pretty good. They're on the right track. Unfortunately, what took us off the right track is this pandemic. We had some real great traction and it's still there. It's just sort of in a holding mode right now with the show pitched to a very big cable network that was really right at the tippy top. And it was pretty much at the green light or not meeting. We got right to the to the top of the food chain and uh, they loved it. And there was multiple, multiple meetings and then this pandemic. So we'll see what happens. And I just continue to to do it and I keep finding shows to create with great talent and i just pitched another one just this past week and we're going into a co-production agreement so things are moving it's just uh, a big uncertainty and a big question mark in the television business right now which which is a little scary i love the fact that you are your own business owner at this point and as any smart person who's thinking about starting their own business you got a lot of experience under your belt in so many different areas before doing it that for this chapter of your life, I think you could possibly be better prepared where you have a lot of contacts in the business, had a lot of experiences. So I'm assuming or I'm asking for you to get things done now or for projects that you look at, do you think you can complete them even faster just because you know so many people in many other areas of entertainment or the business? Yeah, I mean, I definitely can get into a lot of places because I have these relationships that I've forged over the years, whether directly through the jobs that I've had or just through friends of friends in the business. But yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people. I'm a nice guy, like I said, so people will usually answer my emails or calls. It's tricky now. It's just a tricky time. I don't think anyone who has the crystal ball that could very clearly say what's going to happen here and when shows and business as usual is going to resume. 
because no one knows. No one knows that what this is really doing to the business. And are series going to be shot the same way? Are they going to be able to be congregated crews of 50, 60 people or crews and, and going to want to work in that environment? It, it's just It's just so strange right now. It's just very strange. You saying how strange things are, do you think this could have a permanent impact on how things are done in the future in entertainment or filming? Or do you think everything taking place now is just temporary and at one point it will resume? I don't have an answer for that. You know, who knows what shows with an audience are going to be like? Are they going to be half the audience because they're going to be spaced out? Are audiences going to want to sit on top of each other and scream when you know that this virus could potentially be spread through aerosol? You know, it's very tricky to say. No one, no one knows what's going to happen and how it's going to affect the overall business, especially shows with an audience or large crews. What advice would you give to anyone that's in your area of business who's starting out, who's maybe in college, who just didn't really get to graduate, but they're done with college? What would you advise or suggest to them in our current climate and in general to do? Great question. First one of the whole interview. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great question. The, the advice I'd give and, and advice I've always taken myself is just to have a vision, have passion. Don't chase anything for the wrong reasons. Chase it because that's where your heart's taken you or where your passion is taken to you or what you really, really, truly feel is right in your gut. And then just follow the dream. You know, I know it sounds cliche, but it's true. Follow your dream. If you want to do something, don't just think about it. and Don't sit back and just be someone who's going to, you know, pretend and just do it. Just do it. Just go for it. Don't be afraid. It's it's hard, easier said than done, but just go for it. I think I told you I've pivoted my business in not knowing what's going on with these co-productions and these deals that I'm trying to make and shows I'm trying to sell. So I started making commercials for businesses now, and that's a pivot. I have the skill set. I have the ability to edit. I have the ability to produce and, and do uh, quick storytelling through little commercials. And it's taken off. I started out about a month ago doing it. The first one I did was for a friend's business who was getting really hammered by the pandemic and him being shut down. So I made him a commercial, a 30-second commercial for his business out here on Long Island. And it felt like the right thing to do. I did it for free. There was no money involved. I made these offers. And then I saw other businesses right in my neighborhood that was obviously struggling. So I called them proactively and I offered to make free commercials for these businesses, mostly restaurants. And very quickly, the feedback I got was that they're working. They're engaging their audience. They're engaging their customers to come back. It, it, it created awareness. They didn't know if they were open or closed. They were able to put out these commercials that I made for them with some simple branding, some simple messaging, as simple as we're open, some promotional deals to get some money off. We offer curbside pickup, delivery, you know. So now I've turned that, that's my new thing that I'm doing right now to stay busy and create commercials for any business. It could be an independent restaurant, could be a plumber, could be a lawyer, could be a doctor financial advisors. I just did a conference call this morning with over almost, I think it was almost 200 financial advisors across the country that I was invited to speak on because mm -hmm. the guy who ran it found out that I was doing these commercials. 
So you're going to be doing a whole lot of commercials for all those financial advisors in the next months yeah, to come. I, listen, <laughs> I'll do what I have to do and I'll do it happily and I'll do it with passion and I'll do it with extreme, extreme precision and attention to detail and the top quality. I'll produce that the same way I would produce a Stern show with passion because at the end of the day, you want your product to be perfect. And that's, I'm not a perfectionist, but I do want the best, best, absolute best quality. And I want the customer to always be happy. And same mindset I approached with Howard and all the shows we did there. I want the product to look great and to be the best it could be. Perfect is, is a tough thing to say. I don't know if anyone could ever deliver something that's perfect. I like the fact as someone looking back on a, I would say, very successful career. But looking back, you never thought you were too good to take an internship job or those jobs with uh, network TV or local news. Like you did the grunt work, learning new ways to do things and being innovative. And I think it's a really important lesson for anyone getting into or reinventing themselves, not thinking you're too good to do something but looking at everything as an experience or opportunity to learn something that you don't know. So I really admire that about you. That's perfectly said. You know, if, you, if you're not willing to roll up your sleeve and do the dirty work, no matter what level you are, then you got a problem. And that's come from someone working at the Stern Show. So when you had to roll up your sleeves and clean up the dirty work, we know where that went sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it wasn't pretty. But yeah, I mean, you can never be, you never could feel entitled or, or just feel above and beyond. If I was going to ask any of my workers and, and staff to ever do something, I would always, probably 100% of the time, be willing to do it myself. Always, always. And that's not the case for a lot of bosses or executives, but it should be. You know, you should be willing to do everything and anything as long as the ultimate goal is to get the job done and be the most efficient and effective you possibly can. Well, before I let you go, I just want to thank you for taking the time to do this. And I can really attest to the fact that you are a very genuine person. We've spoke many, many, many times on the phone, just BSing, got to know you in the last couple of months, six months, seven months, whatever it's been. And really just a very genuine person and how you've stepped up and offered to help out so many people during the entire COVID quarantine situation. You can tell you have a very big heart and you mentioned something about doing a commercial and you wouldn't even charge them. Sure. I believe in karma and I believe in, you know, you do the right thing and it will always come back to produce good things for yourself. And that's where I'm at. I'm in, I'm in the mindset, like, you're never too good to not do good. You know, you can never do wrong by doing what's right. I mean, that's it. You know, you just got to do the right thing. When we're in a very, very screwed up time right now, and people are really compassionate and really see that we're all just one human being. We're, we're just all the same at the end of the day. We all can breathe in this virus, doesn't matter, skin color, political beliefs, religion. It's like, what's at the end of the day, we're all same so why not work together and be be good to each other and document the whole thing so you can produce it and put out some great content right there you go for more info visit us at getconnects.com that's g-e-t-c-o-n-n-e-x-x.com on Instagram at connects underscore or on Facebook at 
connects, comma, INC.